You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome to another edition. If you don't like that, a big football weekend. Got a lot going on. I've got a special announcement that I'll be making next week about a new show. We are going to have a lot of fun today talking about sports rivalries. But first, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works is a full service plumbing solution no matter how small or how large your plumbing problem they've got a fix for you just go to newworksplumbing.com that's n-e-w-w-r-x plumbing.com so when watching the game last night in new york with the yankees and the red sox all eyes on aaron judge as he goes for homer 61 and 62 this weekend against the red sox he did not hit one out last night almost did in the ninth to the warning track in center field he will try again this evening in game two of that series. But, you know, I was thinking about that rivalry of the Yankees and the Red Sox, clearly one of the best rivalries uh, that this country has. And it started to get me really thinking about what makes a great rivalry. First of all, it has to have interest outside of the two markets. In other words, the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry is great if you're in New York and great in Boston, but the reality is that people watch the Yankees and the Red Sox play in California, in Texas, Missouri, and all over the country. You know, when I moved out to Sacramento in 1987, and I heard all the talk about Stanford and Cal and the big game and this or that, the reality is nobody cares about Stanford and Cal unless you went to either Stanford or Cal. If you're an alum, it's a big game. It's a big deal. If you play for Stanford or Cal, it's a big deal. If you're a student at Stanford or Cal, it's a big deal. But nobody in the Midwest is watching Stanford and Cal. Nobody on the East Coast is watching Stanford and Cal. Nobody in the South is watching Stanford and Cal. So, you know, it might be a big game, but it's only a big game in a very small bubble. All right. The bubble of Duke, North Carolina is gigantic. The bubble of the Yankees and the Red Sox is gigantic. The bubble of the Bears and the Packers. All right. The Canadians and the Leafs, uh, you know, individual rivalries, Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett, and we can go on and on. But I was watching last night and I was thinking about all of the great memories that I personally have had being uh, a New Yorker and that rivalry with the Red Sox and the Yankees, particularly in 77 and in 78, the Boston Massacre in the four-game series in September where the Yankees caught the Red Sox after being 13 and a half back 
and I've had some very interesting conversations with players on both squads that played in that game. All right. And in, in that one game playoff, and it's interesting uh, to hear their perspectives. And the most interesting aspect of that was the Red Sox hated the Yankees and the Yankees hated the Red Sox. There was no chit chat going on. You know, you didn't see a you didn't see Fred Lynn getting a base hit or Jim Rice and chit chatting with Chris Chambliss at first base. Uh, uh-uh, That did not happen. All right. There was a genuine dislike for one another. And I get the same feeling, you know, when I watch Duke in North Carolina. And to me, that's the best rivalry that this country has. But again, again, when I talk about rivalries, I think both both entities have to be good and there has to be a lot of interest outside of those two bubbles. And if those two things do not occur, then to me, it really isn't a rivalry we're talking about. For instance, a lot of people consider the Bears-Packers as the top rivalry in the country. I mean, they're the two oldest teams uh, in the National Football League. They have played over 200 games, but they've only met in the playoffs twice, all right? Uh, the Packers hold a slight lead in the series, and I recognize that as a great rivalry, Bears-Packers, because of the history. But how many times over that span have the Packers and the Bears both been good in the same year. So as I recognize it as a great rivalry, to me, I can't put it ahead of Duke, North Carolina. I can't put it ahead of the Yankees and the Red Sox. I can't put it ahead of Navratilova and Everett and women's tennis. But I know a lot of people disagree. I know a lot of people feel that it is the top rivalry in the United States. I'm not one of those. For you historians out there, it was December 14th, 1941. Now think about that date for a moment. Just one week after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the two met in a playoff tiebreaker. And you know that was their only postseason meeting until 2010. The Bears, by the way, won that game 33-14. to But think about that. December 7th, 1941, I share the story of my dad as a 15-year-old being at the Polo Grounds in New York for the New York Giants-Brooklyn Dodgers football game. And Pearl Harbor, a week later, they're playing football. Think about that for a moment. And again, it's astonishing to me, and I was not aware of this, that when they met in the playoff, they didn't meet again in a postseason until 2010. So to me, and again, just me, that diminishes the rivalry just a little bit. Then you go to Tobacco Road and Duke in North Carolina, Now, think about this. They've been playing each other for almost 100 years. The campuses are eight miles apart. North Carolina sits number three on the all-time wins list. Duke is at number four. The two schools have combined for 38 final fours. How about that? And, of course, their first ever NCAA meeting in the tournament this past season in 2022, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Duke's final year of Mike Krzyzewski, uh, 11 national championships. North Carolina beat Duke in the final four in Coach K's last game. We know that they meet at least twice every year. They normally meet in the conference tournament. I think that is the best rivalry that this country has, personally. I think it's the best rivalry in the country. I will always try to watch a Duke North Carolina game. I put it ahead of the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, think about that. Eight miles apart, 
I have never been to a Duke, North Carolina game head-to-head. I've never been to a game in North Carolina. I was fortunate enough to go to a game at Duke a couple of years ago. Actually, Marvin Bagley was on the team at that time. And it was an amazing experience to be at Cameron Indoor Stadium. But when you think about the great coaches of Duke and North Carolina, you know, you think about Dean Smith, and you think about all of the great NBA players that have come out of both of those programs, starting with Michael Jordan at North Carolina. When Duke and North Carolina play, for me, it is must-see TV. So that's the reason why I put that at number one of sports rivalries in the country. And then there are the Lakers and the Celtics and their storied rivalry. No question, the top rivalry in the NBA and one of the great rivalries that this country has ever had. Can you believe that they have met a record 12 times in the NBA Finals? The first time that they met for all the marbles was 1959. Think about that for a moment. Then 62, 63, 65, 66. I mean, amazing. 68, 69. Then, of course, Magic and Bird, 84, 85, 87. And then at the turn of the century, the Celtics beat the Lakers in the 2008 NBA Finals, then 2010. It's really an amazing rivalry. And again, it's a rivalry where it doesn't really matter where you're living in this country. You're going to watch the Lakers and the Celtics. I mean, they play twice a year. The games are always on national television. And when they meet in the NBA Finals, the ratings go through the roof. All right? It's the Yankees and the Red Sox of the NBA. Speaking of the Yankees and the Red Sox, their first meeting was in April of 1901. And as they get ready to play game two of a four-game set tonight, think about this, all right? Both teams have competed in the American League for over 120 seasons. It is a fierce rivalry. Back in 1919, the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees. 86 years, the curse, which the Red Sox did not win a World Series, all right, led to the curse of the Bambino. They had to wait until 2004, and the epic comeback coming down from three games to love to beat the Yankees in seven and then win the World Series. I will never forget the one-game playoff in 1978. Ron Guidry on the mound for the Yankees going for his 25th win of the year, which he would get, Ended the regular season at 25-3 and with an ERA of 1.74. It was phenomenal talking to Rich Gossage on the radio several times about coming in in the seventh inning, pitching the part of the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth, and facing Carl Yastrzemski for the final out to send the Yankees to the series against the Royals. They won the pennant and then beat the Dodgers in six games. But Bucky Dent's home run off Torres over the screen, and the Yankees, who were 13 and a half down, came back to beat the Yankees, or came back to beat the Red Sox in a one-game playoff. That year also was the year that Bob Lemon replaced Billy Martin in the middle of the season, and the New York tabloids were on strike, and of course the Bronx Zoo, and many will tell you that the calmness in the Yankee clubhouse without the scribes from the tabloids, was also a factor of the Yankees coming from that far down. There were very few distractions when Bob Lemon took over that team 
in 1978. I think, personally, I put Duke, North Carolina, one. I put the Yankees and the Red Sox, number two, in terms of best rivalries in this country. Perhaps the best individual rivalry, meaning one-on-one, has to be Ali and Frazier. And being a, a young boy for the first fight, which was billed as the fight of the century, I was still in grade school, and everyone was talking about that fight. My friends, boys, girls, we were all talking about the fight of the century. Everyone was captivated by Ali and Frazier. Of course, Joe Frazier would win that fight, and it would be the first of three. The second fight has been regarded as the worst of the three, and many feel that the third fight, the thriller in Manila, is one of the great fights in the history of of the sport. It was an all-out war. Muhammad Ali emerging as the victor over Joe Frazier. And later on in their lives, both Ali and Frazier admitted that the other was the toughest opponent that they had ever fought. When you think of boxing, when you think of Ali and Frazier, if you were alive during that era in the 70s and leading up to the fight number one, I'll never, ever forget that week, that buildup to that fight, and how everyone was talking about that incredible, incredible bout. Think about now. Can you imagine being on a grade school playground? Could you imagine having your son or your daughter come home in fourth grade or fifth grade or sixth grade and talking about an upcoming heavyweight fight? I mean, that doesn't happen. But back then, everyone, and I mean everyone, teachers, you know, boys, girls, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, you know, everyone was talking about Ali and Frazier. In terms of just individual competition, to me, it's the greatest rivalry, not only in the United States, probably the greatest rivalry in the history of sports for a one-on-one competition. Now let's talk about Ohio State and Michigan. The first time that I understood the true impact of that rivalry was when I was a freshman at Bowling Green. And I'll never forget walking to class the week of the Ohio State-Michigan game, and there were banners in the dorm windows all over campus. Ohio State banners, Michigan banners, all over the campus of Bowling Green, which was pretty much halfway between Columbus and Ann Arbor, closer to Ann Arbor. But the point was, there were a lot of students that went to Bowling Green that were from Ohio, and there were many that were from Michigan. But I'll never forget seeing the fanfare on our campus, all right? And I was thinking to myself, wow. I mean, I used to watch Ohio State and Michigan all the time. But then when you get to Ohio, and you're right in the middle of it, I really had a sense of how crazy it was. Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, Woody would not have his team stay in the state of Michigan the night before the game. They would stay in Ohio, in Toledo. And you think about that rivalry. You think about Ohio State and Michigan. That first began in 1987 and has been played annually and uninterrupted since 1987. 18, right? 
Now, obviously, it was interrupted due to the pandemic, but the game was always played at the end of the regular season since 1935. There were a few exceptions. I think uh, 86, late 90s, 2020. But since 1918, the game site alternated between Columbus, Ohio, and Ann Arbor. And it is, in my opinion, the top rivalry in college football. Now, I've had a real kick talking with members of the USC and Notre Dame football teams over the years. And I've always thought that was a great rivalry. And it certainly belongs in a conversation. But is there a better rivalry outside of Army and Navy than Ohio State and Michigan? And I've got to talk about Army and Navy because it is a great rivalry. And even though I couldn't name one player on Navy or one player on Army, every single December, I find myself in front of the television watching Army and Navy. And I don't know what it is because the games themselves are not that exciting. You know, the the run, 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 run. But it's the fact that it is the grit and the determination and that those players that you were watching on that Saturday afternoon in December are going on to serve our country and in many cases paying the ultimate sacrifice. So Navy, Army, greatest rivalry, no question. In terms of pure fan interest where you know the coaches and you know the players, you really can't beat Ohio State and Michigan. Now, I know people are going to talk about Texas, Oklahoma, and I get it. And you're going to talk about Alabama and Auburn, and I get it. And some other rivalries. I mentioned USC and Notre Dame. I get it. But can you really put any of those rivalries ahead of Ohio State and Michigan? I can't. I just can't. Ohio State, Michigan, to me, is the best rivalry outside of Army-Navy in college football. Another great individual rivalry, Chris Everett. Martina Navratilova, they battled from 1973 to 1988. All right, think about this. Martina Navratilova, 18 Grand Slam titles. Chris Everett, 18 Grand Slam titles. No tennis rivalry is better than this one. Not Federer, Nadal, not Borg, McEnroe. You can't find it, all right? 16 years, the two met 80 times, 80, 60 of those matches were in the finals. Think about that for a minute. 80 times, 60 in the finals. The best rivalry, no question, in the history of tennis. Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett, absolutely beyond belief. And I was fortunate enough to watch them play in person at the U.S. Open on a number of times, and it was always a thrill knowing that you were going to watch those two. Now, the first seven years from 73 and 79 ever dominated. Uh, she won, what was it, 25 and 8, and she won three of the four Grand Slam matches against Martina, but then Navratilova went crazy in the head-to-head and finished with a 35 and 12 record from 79 to 88, including an advantage in the Grand Slam matches of 13-5. They played some amazing matches, all right? Uh, the Australian Open in 1981, 6-7, 6-4, 7-5. The victory by Martina Navratilova. It was, to this day, regarded as one of the best women's tennis matches 
ever played. But when you think about individual sports, and I gave you Ali and Frazier, to me that is clearly number one. Navratilova, Everett, number two on my list in individual head-to-head competition. Can you beat that one? Can you beat that? If you go Ali and Frazier, number one, if we can agree on that, can you come up with a better one than Navratilova and Everett? I can't. I would put Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer a close second, but I can't put them ahead of Navratilova and Everett, mainly because in golf, you had Tom Watson, you had Lee Trevino, you had Gary Player, and as great as Nicklaus and Palmer were, and quite frankly, I really wasn't old enough to remember a lot of their great matchups and great battles, but Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer really made golf what it was until Tiger Woods came along, but for those that were old enough to remember those epic, incredible battles between those two, that has to go down as one of the top sports rivalries in America. So the reason why I'm doing this today is just watching that game last night brought back so many memories, so many great series played in the 70s and through the decades, and of course at the turn of the century when the Red Sox finally ended the curse of the Bambino in 2004. And here we are in 2022, and although not a lot of people are really tuning in just because it's the Yankees and the Red Sox per se, because the Red Sox are having a horrible season, but to see Aaron Judge, to see a full house, and it really doesn't matter when the Yankees and the Red Sox play, it's always a tough ticket, there's always a lot of fanfare, there's always a lot of excitement, but nothing is better in a rivalry when both teams are good in the same year. And you see it a lot in college football with Ohio State and Michigan. You don't see it every year, obviously, with Green Bay and Chicago. You don't see it with the Red Sox and the Yankees every year. But is there anything better when you have a Duke, North Carolina, when they were both good, like this past season, in the NCAA tournament? Really can't beat that. It is as good as it gets. What's your favorite rivalry? What do you put as number one on your list. You can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram. You can reach out to me on social media, Twitter. Again, at Grant Napier Show. I'm available, and I will do my best to get back to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is now time for our CrowdUltra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I will answer your question on my next podcast. Jerry wants to know, what's your take on MLB, NBA, and NHL maybe buying out Diamond Sports Regional TV Sports Networks? It's a very interesting development. There are a couple of different ways, Jerry, that this can go. And without being boring and without confusing people, I'm going to say stay tuned. You know, as long as we can watch our games, we only care about that, correct? And as long as it doesn't cost a lot of money, <laughs> we're, we're okay. So this could be a change in the sports landscape, though. No question about that and how we watch sports. Reed wants to know, do you agree with Olden Polonies saying Jordan's diet and cigars limited his potential? Reed, I didn't hear Olden say that. I don't believe he did say that. And if he did say that, he's wrong. All right? Derek asks, should Ime Yudoka 
have been suspended. Well, we don't really know what happened behind the scenes. He clearly violated the rules of the organization. It was a consensual relationship. Again, I think there's a lot more to this story than meets the eye. So his statement was very contrite, very to the point, and sounded like a guilty man. So I don't really have a problem with that. I really don't. Jackson wants to know, what do you think about the way Herm Edwards was fired from ASU? Did you hear stuff was leaking, or rather, did you also hear his staff was leaking information to opponents to get him fired? This is an interesting story, Jackson. I'm a huge Herm Edwards fan, and there are a couple of things behind the scenes that are very suspicious about this. I didn't hear the latter about a staff leaking information to opponents to get him fired. Uh, But I think we're also going to hear a lot more about this in the coming days and weeks about what really did go on behind the scenes at Arizona State. Alex wants to know, do you think it was wrong for Adam Silver and other NBA decision makers to have pressured Robert Sarver to sell his team? I don't think anyone pressured Robert Sarver to sell his team other than the sponsors of the Phoenix Suns. That's really where the pressure came from. You can't make money if you lose sponsors. And they were starting to lose sponsors. And to me, that's why Robert Sarver decided to sell the team. Rob wants to know, did I ever listen to Opie and Anthony or meet them? No and no. Andrew wants to know, there's no way Notre Dame makes the college football playoffs, right? Correct. There is absolutely no chance. None. Adam wants to know, should Mike Evans have been suspended? Mm, I don't think so. It's a 17-game season. I would say a hefty fine, but no, I don't think he should have been suspended. Ryan wants to know, do you think athletes should be suspended or fined for what they say on their own public accounts like Anthony Edwards? Well, based on precedent, yes, but how come Anthony Edwards is fined $40,000 for making homophobic slurs on video and Draymond Green can call another person a racial slur and nothing happens to him. Myers Leonard of the Miami Heat makes an anti-Semitic comment playing a video game on the internet. He gets suspended for a week, then traded, then cut. He's not even in the league anymore. Different rules for different folks. That's the biggest problem I have. Colin wants to know, why do you think Russell Wilson doesn't look like himself out there? I don't think he looked that good last year, and I think it's continued to this year. We're going to see. It's pretty much a must-win for Denver coming up this weekend against the San Francisco 49ers. And again, that is my Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on next week's podcast. It's time for Grant. Today's rant is brought to you by Sky Oak Capital, a financial planning and wealth management firm. As an SEC-registered investment advisor, Sky Oak Capital's primary focus is protecting your assets by mitigating risk while providing returns to allow you to retire comfortably. Just go to skyoak.com for a financial consultation. You can take a free risk analysis. Views and opinions expressed by this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Sky Oak Capital. Why does everything in this country have to be about race all the time? Stephen A. Smith of ESPN once again accusing an organization or an individual of racism. This time, he's attacking the Boston Celtics, saying that Ime Yudoka was suspended for a year because he is black and then made the point that that wouldn't have happened to a white coach and he went on and on and on. To me, Stephen A. Smith is really talented and really good at what he does, but he hurts his credibility with asinine comments like this, okay? 
Ridiculous. I mean, Stephen A. honestly thinks that the Boston Celtics suspended Yudoka for the entire season because he's black. I mean, think about that for a minute. How absurd does that sound? And then starts comparing it to his white counterparts. Stephen A. needs to stop it with this nonsense. Stop bringing race into every damn thing. It's just awful. It really is. And that's my rant for today. And that is my podcast for today. I hope you have yourself a fabulous weekend. And I'll be back with you Tuesday. It will be episode number 200. Looking forward to that coming up on Tuesday and a special announcement next week as well. Thanks so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. So long, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.